Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. The podcast allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. On this episode, I have Kelly Manthe. She is the Group Chief Executive of Kenincarta Americas, a global digital transformation consulting firm built for the 2020s, and also the company that I work at. So you'll learn more about Kelly's role on this episode of the podcast, but a little bit more about Kelly. The proudest moment in her career came when the Americas region received its B Corporation certification from B Lab. That acknowledges that Ken and Carta Americas is a triple bottom line business, and Kelly gives a full overview of what that means in the podcast. As a leader, Kelly practices mindfulness and empathy to keep herself grounded and compassionate to the needs of others in a high performance environment. While her work keeps her energized and curious, her favorite and proudest roles have been being a mom and a wife of 14 years to Paul. You're going to hear about all of this and more on this episode of the podcast. Before I jump into the podcast with Kelly, I just want to remind everyone that I have started career coaching services. So if you're interested in getting into tech or maybe you're already in the industry and you want to know how to navigate your career, you can set up some one-on-one time with me and I will coach you through all of the things that are happening within your tech career. The link to set up time with me is in the show notes, and I'm looking forward to impacting some of the careers of the people who listen to this podcast. So on this episode, Kelly and I discuss her own career path. We talk about reverse mentoring, which happened at my company where I was Kelly's mentor, and this happened after the George Floyd murder. And then last but not least, we talk about current topics in the tech world, including burnout, the great resignation, and also imposter syndrome. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please make sure to rate and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. And don't forget, you can leave a written review too. That will help other people find the podcast and also help people know what they can look forward to listening to when they listen to some of these episodes. That's all I have for today. So let's jump into it. Let's get it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm joined with a very special guest, Kelly Manthe. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Dina. So, Kelly, for my listeners who might not know who you are, why don't we give them a brief introduction of your title and some of the responsibilities that you hold in your current role? Sure. So, Kelly Manthe, I'm the group CEO for Ken and Carta's America's Business. Ken and Carta is a digital transformation consultancy. We serve our clients at the intersection of data, technology, and digital experiences. So my role is managing our America's business, which includes North America, as well as our business in South America. Excellent. And Kelly didn't start off in this role. So I do want a little walk through your career. So my first question to you is, how did you get exposed into the tech industry? Yeah, well, I definitely didn't start in this role. And my journey into technology and really consulting started when I was in college. I went to Kent State University. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. 
I studied information systems and it was, this was in the late, late nineties. And so it was really a emerging field that blended computer science with a business degree. And it was really, really exciting at the time. The internet was just becoming something that businesses were taking seriously. Mm-hmm. Graphical user interfaces on web browsers was just a new thing. So it was a really kind of emerging time to be in technology. And I really love the blend of business and technology. And that's kind of been the theme of really my career. The things that have really, really energized me in my career is being at that intersection. So from there, when I graduated, I went right into consulting. I was recruited out of college, uh, started with uh, what is today Accenture. So it was Anderson Consulting at the time. And went, you know, through their training program and then got deployed to client projects as a software developer. And that was my first exposure to different industries and my first exposure as well to what a career in consulting could look like. So I I really, really enjoyed right early on in my career through project work, getting exposure to different industries very quickly and different client settings, really getting inside of different businesses and seeing how they operated, seeing how they were trying to solve problems using technology. A lot of e-commerce was just becoming kind of a, a big priority for businesses. And I was all part of that, serving in a software engineering capacity. And then as I grew in my career, I moved into more functional roles. So I moved into more business analysis, project management, program management, and then ultimately into more strategy roles. Why did you make that switch? You know, through being a software developer, I had the opportunity to also talk to a lot of the business counterparts that I was building the applications for. So through the systems requirements gathering process, and I found that I had a really, really good knack for being kind of that bridge between the business and technology. Mm -hmm. So understanding how things were built uh, or understanding what was going to need to make something work helped me be a better partner to the business. And I really loved continuing to swim a little bit further upstream and understand why we were doing something. Back when I was beginning my journey, we were communicating often by documents, which is different than the best practices today. Today, right? It's communicating by collaboration with each other. But back then it was a very more waterfall type process. And so getting exposure to why we were solving a problem or who was going to be the end user of the problem, it really, really interests me. It really started to kind of light up my curiosity a little bit more than continuing to expand and grow on the path of developer to senior developer to architect, you know, that kind of path. I saw what that path looked like. And I really enjoyed understanding more of the business problem and the why behind the business problem and being that bridge. And you stayed at Accenture for three years. And then what were your next steps? So after that, I did a little bit of independent consulting, but then I actually went into industry for a few years. And I went and I uh, took a full-time job uh, for about five years. I worked in technology for Bristol-Myers Squibb Pharmaceutical Company in Princeton, New Jersey. How was that switch going back into corporate full-time role? Yeah, actually, when I went to Bristol Meyer Squibb, I was I was an independent consultant at the time, and they converted me to full time employee. So I was now in my mid twenties, 
I was traveling back and forth between New Jersey and Chicago and I was ready to, you know, I was making friends in New Jersey. I had, I'd been there for, you know, a, the better part of two years and I really enjoyed it. I really liked exploring where I was living and I wanted to settle down a little bit. I wanted to start getting settled a little bit. So they offered me a full-time job and it was, again, it was the right time. I, it was a great, great culture, great environment. The benefits were were great. And I really, really, really enjoyed the work that I was doing. So again, just right time in my life. And again, I think with any career moves, seasons in your life and where you are in your life is a big contributing factor. And then after you were in New Jersey, then you came back to Chicago and started doing some work with Solstice. I did. Yeah. So after I was working there for about five years and my now husband actually lives in Chicago. And so I won't go into that long story, but we ended up getting engaged and we made the decision to build our life in Chicago. So I moved to Chicago from New Jersey and I looked up a friend of mine who I had met when I was working at, at Accenture. They had both worked there. He lived in Chicago and his name was Jay. He's Actually, today, our, our global CEO of Kid Carta, I looked him up and uh, he was beginning to build a company. He was a couple of years into building an IT consulting firm. You know, We had history together from working at, at Accenture and he offered me a, a job. You've been at Kid Carta for 14 years. What is it like to be at a company where you watch it build from the ground up? Yeah, well, it was super exciting. You know, that moved back to Chicago and, you know, helping Jay build Solstice Consulting, which ultimately became what is today Chicago headquarters for, for Kin and Carta through acquisition was super exciting. It, it gave me the ability to apply all of those things that I learned early in my career to not only continuing to serve clients through emerging technology projects and helping them embrace how to solve problems, but also how to build a business. And you know, being able to learn going from manual processes to when we needed to evolve something or hiring decisions, building departments, all of that, when it was time to pivot the strategy, all of those kind of business decisions, it was really great to be able to be part of that journey. And that's really served me well today as we continue building Kin and Carta, because a business is never done growing. You're either growing or dying. You have to keep innovating. You have to keep asking what's next. And that's what we continue to do. I was the first full-time employee that came on to Solstice Consulting almost 15 years ago. You know, that exposure that I got early on, you know, being on that journey to build a business and what it takes constantly evolving is something that I've I've kept with me and, and apply to my job today. One thing that you didn't mention, you got engaged, you get married. So you're having a family during all of this. So you're growing and going up the ladder at work. But then on the other hand, you also have your family and you're growing your family. How did you balance work-life balance? Well, if there if you consider work-life balance a real thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely work-life integration is is key. There's only there's only one life. And so it's it's really how you kind of integrate things. Um, I have a really great partner, my husband Paul. We've been married for 15 years. So he's really been on this whole journey with me. But you know, he's just been a really great partner, really, really supportive of my career ambitions and 
you know, my ambitions are, are his ambitions too. We, you know, we, we share them together. And so, you know, things that were really important to us were starting a family and we knew we wanted to have at least two kids, which is what we have today, two boys, nine and 13. And we knew what was important to us was to be able to build a life where we'd be able to spend time with them during the week and at least have one parent around if I was traveling or if he was traveling for some reason, you know, we just, they had to communicate and, and had to figure out schedules. And the one thing that we learned really early on is you can have a great plan and then something happens in your life or a, a new thing happens and you have to you have to plan again. Like change is constant. So you can have a great nanny for a while and it works really great. And then for some reason she quits or uh, you need to move on from her. It's not working anymore. You're kind of starting again you know, a daycare, you know, one works out, one doesn't work out. So it's like, there's always something that's, that, that's changing and you have to be really adaptable and really flexible. And so communication is key. So we, you know, try to communicate about what's coming up, what's changing, what do we each need in order to take care of what we both need to do at work, as well as how we want to build our family. I want to harp on this just for another moment, because as women, we're always told like you can't have the career and the home life and everything won't be balanced. I do love that you say it's not balanced, but work-life integration. So I am going to borrow that from you. But for women who are looking to climb the ladder and also have a family, is there any tips or advice that you have for them? Yeah, it's it's hard work, right? Like nobody's going to say that it's not hard work and there's trade-offs. There definitely are trade-offs. It's 6.30 right now. I'm on the Zoom. My kids are upstairs. In between finishing my day job and jumping on with you, I made dinner. I had to make two different dinners because my kids don't eat the <laughs> same things and I'm probably spoiling them. My husband's at work tonight. So, you know, I'm juggling some of the household responsibilities as well as finishing up my work day. And so, yeah, I mean, you just, you're making trade-offs all the time. It's, it's certainly not always glamorous. It's not perfect. Ask for help. So I have a, again, I have a great partner and my husband, you know, we work out a system that works until it doesn't work when something changes, you know, my son plays basketball. So that changed our schedule. We had a great schedule for a couple of weeks until his basketball schedule changed. And then it's a dialogue. Okay. Who's got what this week? So you kind of have to embrace the ebbs and flows of things and just, you know, know that it's not going to be perfect. And Kelly, so your current role at Kidding Carta is group chief executive. And I want us to define that so that people are aware of exactly what your role is. And then also talk a little bit of how you got to that role. Sure. Well, at the highest level, my role is about financial responsibility for the business. We're a triple bottom line business. So we measure our success as a business across three dimensions. One is profit, and that's financial responsibility for all of our business that runs through Americas. Two is people. So that is, you know, acknowledging our diversity, equity, and inclusion KPIs as a business. And then the last one is our planet. And so that's measuring some of our non-financial KPIs, which include DEI, that are related to some of the impact that we want to make as a business. So all three of those things we measure and we look at, we prioritize where we want to be the next year. And and those are the things that I'm responsible for. You mentioned DEI, and I want to actually change gears and talk about that because I didn't mention, but we're both from Cleveland. We obviously both work at the same company, but one thing that brought us together again was that we were matched for the company's reverse mentorship program. And so I want to start off with having you explain to my listeners what that even means. What was the mentorship program? Yeah. So in the early days of COVID, when 
the George Floyd protests and the the senseless killing of George Floyd occurred, it really unlocked a national conversation and it really heightened a lot. And so we took stock inside of our own company and used it as an opportunity to have a, a dialogue and ask, what are we doing? Are we doing enough? What are our goals? What are our ambitions? Do we need to educate ourselves? And so even as an executive leadership team, we took it upon ourselves to reach out to our kin or employees who were Black to ask for a dialogue, candid one-on-one dialogues to both educate and understand how things felt and how things looked, really build more empathy from the seat that those employees sit in. And so, Dina, you were gracious enough to become my mentor. And so I think we met about a monthly monthly basis, right? That's kind of the cadence. And for me, it was really about having a safe space. I think race is one of those topics that I, you know, has always been something that you didn't talk about at work or didn't talk about a lot at work. And so that's certainly how I grew up in my career. It wasn't really a topic that was discussed at work. And while I thought that I was, you know, pretty aware, what I learned through the process is that by not talking about it was really doing a disservice. And so, you know, through our conversations, it was really a safe space where even as a leader of a business, I had the opportunity to ask any questions that I wanted to, ask how things felt from the seat that you sat in or that your peers sat in and really get guidance along the way on things to help influence changes that we were looking to make or get recommendations on changes. From your perspective, what are some of the lessons that you learned during our conversations? One of the biggest lessons I learned early on was what a disservice I was doing for my children by not talking about race, not acknowledging and pointing out the differences, even in skin color between people that they go to school with. I remember early on, my oldest son, now 13, he was in kindergarten and one of the kids that he was friends with was black. And he'd went to you know preschool and kindergarten with this person. And we actually all went on a, a family vacation to a waterslide park in Wisconsin together. And never one time did we mention the fact that our skin colors were different. Mm-hmm. Whole vacation on the weekend, his friend, you know, was at birthday parties and all of that stuff, and never one time. And I thought I was winning as a mother for having a colorblind son and being colorblind. And it really wasn't until our dialogues that I realized what a disservice, what a teaching moment. You know, now we talk about it. I really could have done a better job with that. And that being colorblind, which was something that being a child of the 80s, that was something that you just kind of grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all we're all the same. And we're not. And that's okay. <laughs> and that's something we should talk about and something that we should celebrate. Yes. And how have you seen your dialogue change either within the workplace or outside of the workplace, just our conversations and what you've been learning? You know, I think it's it's more comfortable. Early on, when you would talk about race, you know, it used to be a quiet conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's it's really something that's entered into with a lot more empathy. I see what happens inside of the walls or virtual walls of our own business, uh, you know, our IDEA program, our inclusion, diversity, equity, and awareness program, mm-hmm. and the, the affinity groups that we have, they've been really great about starting a conversation and about creating a safe place 
where there's no stupid questions. And I think that becomes really infectious where people feel safe to learn and and to educate themselves. And I think that's half the battle is just feeling like you can't talk about the differences, like you shouldn't shine a light on the differences. It's actually really healthy to do that and, and to learn and understand. And it makes company and a culture a whole lot richer when there's a dialogue and more of a shared understanding about our differences. And when everything happened with George Floyd and his murder, a lot of companies put out statements and I'm sure other companies had different programs that they've done. Why did we choose to do the reverse mentorship program? Well, one of the things we talked about was there's rapid response and then there's responding with action and intent and following intent through. And so we were taking more of an approach around creating the systemic changes inside of our own business that we needed to to drive lasting change. So more of a movement than just a moment. And our biggest fear was that this would become a moment in our company's history or a dialogue that happened, but then that it would kind of fade away. And so that's why when it happened, instead of putting out just kind of a blanket statement, it really was the triggering event for us putting this idea, our inclusion, diversity, equity, and awareness strategy in place as an anchoring and a foundational framework that we have up on our website. Anybody can go look at it. But that was the catalyst for putting a framework in place to help us create more of a a movement and using that as something that we go back to every year with what change do we want to affect next? What are our ambitions? What are our goals? And one of the big ambitions that we set internally was to have a diversity profile of employees. We're a human capital business. We're a people business being consultants. So as we grow, we have the incredible opportunity to hire. And as we grow, it's creating jobs. And that means we have an incredible opportunity to change the diversity profile of our business through hiring. And so, you know, one of our ambitions is to have a diversity profile that represents the communities that we operate in. So looking a lot more like the percentages of the communities that that we operate in. And so we have a long way to go, but, you know, where focus goes, energy flows. And, you know, last year we were able to improve our hiring on uh, females and minorities. And, and so as we look to this year, the same thing, we're looking at what goals can we set and how do we make sure that we're continuing to keep the right focus on the diverse hiring? I want to ask from your personal perspective, what does diversity and inclusion mean to you? It's creating a place where people feel safe, where they can be themselves, where you can bring your whole self to work. I think that's super important. Everybody should feel safe. We spend a lot of time at work and you should feel like you can bring your whole self to work. And like you see people like you, you could find people like you, but you can also embrace the differences and and learning. And one of my favorite things about the affinity groups that we have is you can explore joining them, even if you're not what the affinity group was started for. So LGBTQ, that's not me. However, I can join that affinity group to learn more and to educate myself. So again, I think just being an inclusive workplace is really about a place where everybody can bring their whole self to work. Yes. And I definitely appreciate the allyship that each of the affinity groups bring to the table because everyone within the groups are always willing to help and teach others. And you don't find that everywhere. Usually you're trying to find like your like-minded group. And while we have that, we also have the allyship piece, which I appreciate. Also with our idea strategies, a lot of company leadership is involved. So 
How does our company leadership supporting our idea initiatives, does it look different to you compared to other companies? I can't comment too much about how it looks inside of other companies. I know that Ken and Carta, over the last you know, two years, really, as we've been meaningfully putting idea at the center of our strategy, and as we've been marching down the path of becoming a certified B corporation, which we've achieved and become the first publicly traded company on the London Stock Exchange to achieve B Corp certification, that responsibility that comes with being a responsible business, I feel in a positive way, the weight of that every day more and more inside of our business. And I feel it from our executive leadership team radiating all the way throughout the rest of the organization. And the way that real change happens in a company and in the world is where everybody feels a sense of responsibility and accountability for being the change or making the change that they want to see. So diversity perspective, it's at the hiring decision level. And that's not HR's job. It's lots of hiring managers across the business every day that have that opportunity to ask, did I see a diverse enough pipeline? What kind of diversity makeup am I going for on my team? How do we create the kind of team that represents more of the communities that we live in. And so I'm seeing more and more those questions being asked by people throughout the business. Okay. And from an idea perspective, where do you see things going in the next couple of years? We put the building blocks in place. So I think we're at step one with you know a strategy, identifying priorities that are important to us, putting more structure around what good could look like, KPIs. And so I think we're just at the very beginning. And you know, ne- next, it's really taking that foundation and it's continuing to execute on it and, and to continue to build on it and, and to try things. So you know, different partnerships that, that we can forge with community partners or finding allies that can help us along the way, along the journey. So again, we're just at the very beginning, lots of work to do, but I'm really, really encouraged by the foundation that's been put in place. Yes. And Kelly, to round out our conversation for today, I do want to talk about some of the top current topics that surround the workplace. So I have to start Mm -hmm. with everyone's favorite subject, which is remote work and ask Mm -hmm. you, how do you feel about remote work versus in-person? Oh, I will say I've grown to appreciate many things about remote work, including some flexibility, but I'd like to see in-person come back more. I definitely miss being in person. I think that the challenging situation we find ourselves in right now is that while some people may want to come back and be ready to come back, you know, because everyone's at such a different place, even if they go back, there's no one else to interact with or not enough people to kind of interact with to make it meaningful. So I'm excited. I am looking forward to really flexing our muscle on some of the new ways of working policies that we actually were beginning to roll out even before COVID. So, you know, at Ken and Carter, you can opt to be a fully remote employee. You could opt to be a hybrid worker, which means you agree that coming into the office and interaction is important to you and you're and you're going to do that. Or you could be a full-time in-person worker. And so I am really looking forward to the day when we have more folks, hybrid workers and in-person workers kind of flexing that that muscle a little bit more when we all feel a little bit safer. Do you feel that remote work has hindered our relationship and relationship building within the workplace? I think it's forced new ways to think about building relationships. So new constraints drive innovation. And so I think we've innovated around how to foster connections in new and meaningful ways, knowing that we've been remote. I've reached out to more people that are complete strangers to me than I probably would have if we were in the office. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, we have a, I don't know if you're a part of it, Dina, but our channel KC connections, it's a, it's like a coffee bot that automatically matches random people every single week with another random person in the business. And, you know, that's something that I might not have otherwise done if I was already in the office. And I've met so many new people through that across our global business. So even, you know, people in the EU, people in South America, and it's been really wonderful. But again, I welcome the day when we can have the random interaction inside of our four walls. But I think remote has really forced new ways of thinking about how to foster meaningful connections when you can't be together. Yes. And speaking on connection. So if you haven't heard of the great resignation, thankfully at Ken and Carter, we haven't had too many issues, but along that same vein, there are some people that are experiencing burnout. And I just want to know what is your experience been with burnout? And also do you have any steps in place to prevent burnout? Yeah, I do experience burnout just like everybody else, but it comes into play with self-care. You have to know how to stop, how to turn things off, how to give yourself permission. I've created new routines. My startup routine in the morning is different than it used to be when I was commuting. I had that train time when I was commuting and I didn't have that anymore. And I don't really have that as much anymore either. Because when I do go into the office, I'm driving in a car now, usually. And so I've had to create new decompression times. So I'm, I'm blocking more time for myself for think time and different things that I know I need to keep myself you know, feeling good. An exercise routine. I know I need exercise. And whenever that wanes, I feel really bad about myself. I get terrible sleep, you know, even drinking alcohol. I know it disrupts my sleep. You know, you can feel it. And so you really have to get to know yourself and what are the things that renew you and, and bake in time for renewal. And it takes discipline. And I think being on Zoom all day and, you know, letting it kind of go later than maybe you would have when you had that forcing function of catching a train or commuting or walking from your office to home. Now it takes extra discipline. And I think that's the thing that if you're already feeling burnt out, it's really easy to say, oh, forget it. I don't even have time to think about that. And, you know, there definitely was a time during COVID when that probably was true for my life too. We're just surviving. We're just, you know, adapting to what's going on around us. And to think about, oh, let me create a new routine. That was just one more thing to do. But you have to do it. You have to have the discipline to give yourself time for renewal. You know, know what what can renew you. Yes. Remember at the beginning of the pandemic, it was like Zoom birthday parties and Zoom. Um, yeah. Yeah. Zoom happy hours. And now everyone's like, okay, we have boundaries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Kelly, we've talked about your career and I want to know thus far in your career, what is one of the most impactful lessons that you've learned? Oh my goodness. Just one, huh? One of the most impactful lessons. Well, I think, you know, often conversations about career are about oneself and they're about what I can do next, what the next rung on the ladder is, what's the next checkbox I can check, what's the next compensation goal I can set. It's very, very much about yourself. And the one thing that I've learned is growth through growing other people. And as you continue to progress through your career, it really becomes a lot more about other people's success than your own. And the more you start focusing on helping other people be successful, the more successful you ultimately become and you find fulfillment in that. It's about scaling other people, growing other people, you know, I'm, I'm a doer. I like to jump in. I like to fix things. I like to solve problems. And I've actually found a lot of joy 
in helping to build other people and helping them solve problems. And that's been really fulfilling for me in my career. Do you perhaps have a story of just like someone that you've helped grow and how that was helpful to you or empowering for you? Well, okay. I'll, I'll give you one. I think about somebody that we recently moved into our VP of delivery role. Well, her name also is Kelly. She's responsible for our delivery practice, bringing together the best practices, making sure we've got health across all of our clients. And she started as an intern with us. She was in college. And it's been really great to see somebody like her go from her internship time with us to earning all of her stripes through all of the client projects that she's been on and all the experience that she's gotten. It, you know, reminded me a little bit of some of the journey that I took, what it was like, you know, in the beginning days of kind of being on your first client project. And so it was really great to watch her grow and see her grow from individual contributor to team leader, to large program, to client leader, and really kind of going through all of that and kind of putting in the work and understanding it. And that understanding that she got of the business really helps her in her leadership role today. She's continued to, to scale. And so now her job is to make other people successful. She can't have her fingerprints on every single client project, but she can certainly influence other leaders in the business and help make them successful. And by her focusing on that, their success, ultimately, she will continue to be successful. And so it's that, it's that focusing on other people as you continue to move through your career that really helps you be successful. And well, Dina, I don't know how much I personally had a hand in this person's growth, but there's one person that comes to mind that I've really enjoyed watching their growth journey, and that's you. I've, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think about you you came to us, you've been serving clients, you've been growing in your own career, project managing, getting exposure to different industries, different clients, and then multiplying your impact even internally through your involvement in our idea strategy and our diversity initiatives and the affinity groups, you know, you're really a driving force inside of our business and this great podcast that you're also producing. So you're, you know, you're kind of that, that perfect uh, Venn diagram of passion meets purpose and, uh, you know, you're doing it. And it's it's been really great to to be part of your growth journey and see everything that 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 you've you've accomplished in your career and in your life and what an agent for change that you are. Thanks, Kelly. I appreciate that. Well, okay. we appreciate you, Dina. Oh, thank you. And you know, Kelly, if I recall correctly, I believe you mentioned in your career that there were managers that you had who did the same for you. Yes. Going back to my time when I was at Bristol Myers Squibb, there were always women in executive leadership roles and women of color. And I'm a big believer in you can't be what you can't see, or you need that example. And you know, I was in my mid-20s, very formative, and being surrounded by seeing women in executive leadership roles that were female, they were moms, they different ethnicities. It was really impactful. I thought that's how it was everywhere. That was like really kind of my first exposure. And I thought, oh, this must be normal. And that was very formative for me because I quickly realized it isn't normal. It isn't like that everywhere, but it gave me a great example of what's possible. 
And it helped me kind of see myself too, moving in my career. And, you know, if they could do it, why couldn't I do it? Why couldn't I also be a mom and keep moving in my career to executive levels? So, um, and it created a great uh, source of mentorship. One of my closest mentors from my days working there, she's someone that I turn to time and time again. And it was very, very formative for me. And yes, representation does matter. And it seems from your story that that is a great example. Yeah. You mentioned you had this experience where there were women executives and they were different ethnicities and how you thought that was normal. And now we know that it's not. Do you ever think that could become our new normal? Yes. I was just listening to Melody Hobson did a great TED talk called Color Brave. I don't know if you've ever listened to it, but um, yeah, one of the comments she made in it was, and it's so true, we never think it's strange to walk into a business meeting or a conference room filled with predominantly, you know, white men or predominantly men. Could you imagine doing the same thing and having it be all black people? What if it was all black women? What if it was just all women? We would think that's strange. That would be strange. And I can't wait for that not to be strange. Cuz even I would think that's strange and I'm a woman. And I can't wait for that not to be strange. And again, I feel like we are on the cusp of a movement right now. And if there's any silver linings to COVID, it's the attention that it has shined on things that have already been sitting there and kind of boiling that maybe have been passing us by or haven't seemed as important because we've been so busy with life. And COVID made us pause. And I think it's really shining a light on the changes that we need to make and everybody's individual responsibility and playing a role in being that change and making those changes happen. So can't wait till those things I mentioned aren't weird or strange. <laughs> yes. And I do agree definitely that COVID has shed light on a lot of things. And I do hope that the things that we have observed during this time that we actually do make changes towards because there needs to be change. As we can see, what we consider quote unquote normal isn't normal and it's not okay. So I am very excited to see what the changes of the future will be. And speaking of the future, Kelly, what's the future for you? What's next for you? Wow. Well, I am now officially closer to 50 than I am to 30. <laughs> and <laughs> and I don't know if it's a midlife crisis or what, but you know, with the new year that just happened at the beginning of this month, it really made me want to focus on living more intentionally this year. I really feel that I, you know, maybe it's my kids who are now preteens and teens. They're not little babies anymore, but I'm feeling the time, time ticks and it moves really quickly. You know, how do you want to spend your life? And I kind of feel like I'm just getting started in the next phase. But yeah, I feel like I kind of am at the new beginning of of something exciting. And so even from a career perspective, it's been really incredible being along the journey for the last, you know, 14, almost 15 years now. Ken and Carta is here as a global digital transformation consultancy. Our foundation said it's in place. And I can feel that new beginning happening, you know, as we move on to the next leg of the journey. So I'm really excited. I'm really excited about what the future holds. Kelly, you've given us some wonderful insights. So any final advice that you want to give my listeners today? Oh, man. Well, this has been really great, Dina. Thank you for having me as a guest. Final advice. 
Um, and I won't narrow you down to one. You can give <laughs> as much vital advice <laughs> as you like. If there's one one thing, it's you know just be yourself. You know, authenticity always wins. And so, whichever environment you're in, be yourself. One of the questions that I get often from new hires that are starting is you know, how do you deal with imposter syndrome? When does it go away? The dirty little secret is it never really goes away, but you just keep going. And every new experience that you push through builds confidence and gives you the confidence to keep going. So be yourself, be open to new experiences and those new experiences and pushing through will help you build more confidence. And that is a wonderful note to end on. Kelly, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dina. Very excited to finally get a chance to be on your podcast. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the show on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It will help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.